Well, we have a nursery and kids class that's available at this time in our service. So kids are more than welcome to head to the class if you'd like at this time. And then also we have a nursery that meets in the room right over here off to the corner. If you're not aware of that, parents, you're more than welcome to use it. It's fully staffed every week. And uh, feel free to use that. Your kids are also welcome right here in the worship service with us. I want to invite you at this time if you would join me in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, and in a moment we'll look at verses uh, 24 and 25 together. Uh, I want to ask you a question as we begin. I I just want to ask you to consider the following two statements and uh, statistics on church attendance and and go, well, how do these strike me? Uh, What's my impression of what's being said here? Here's the first one. This is from Lifeway Research. Three in five U.S. Protestant pastors say they consider someone who attends church more than once a month to be a regular churchgoer. That's the first statement. Statement number two, declining church attendance comes up in a surprising number of conversations and no one is really quite sure how to respond to it. The issue? Even committed church attendees are attending church less often. Gone are the days when people attended 50 out of 52 Sundays. Could it be that the typical Christian has a relatively low view of faithfully and consistently gathering with the people of God week after week? As we open up the Bible today, I want to encourage you to ask the Lord or maybe even pray this to the Lord, something like this. God, does my view match yours? And just to be clear there, it's not a question of whether your conscience matches my conscience or somebody else's conscience. Frankly, that does not matter at all. But whether your view matches God's. Listen to the next two commitments in our church covenant. Maybe you have that in front of you. If not, there's copies on the red table there if you want to pick one up. But this is number 10 and 11 in our church covenant. I will consider Beaumont Baptist Church a priority in my life as an expression of my devotion to Christ, the head of the church. And I will regularly attend the church's meetings and will uphold its doctrine, worship, and discipline. God wants you to prioritize your local church. God wants you to be for it and to be all in. And this is not just about attendance, but engagement. If Christ is prioritized in your life, then the church will be too. That'll be the case here uh, as Beaumont Baptist Church is your church. If you ever move away and you find yourself to be another, a part of another body, it will be the case there as well. Look with me at Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. We'll consider these f- familiar words. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, and that's a reference to Christ's return, drawing near. As we look at these commitments, uh, we're going to start with the, we're going to work through the same realities that we've looked at every week, and we start with this. It is a biblical commitment. What we've read about in our covenant, it's biblical. God wants you to prioritize your local church. That's God's wonderful and good plan, not just for you, but for all of us as a a body, as a family. Habitually or as a habit, God wants you to prioritize your local church. Uh, Hebrews 10, 24, and and 25 certainly seems to extend far beyond uh, what happens just on, on Sunday alone. These verses address your habits. 
of meeting with God's people. In fact, that word is used, the habit word. And so we want to ask, well, is this my habit? Is this your habit? According to verse 25, you must avoid the sinful habit of neglecting to meet with God's people. Verse 25 there warns about not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Perhaps you've fallen into that habit or maybe it's the only habit you've ever really known and maybe you've never even given it much thought. But the fact is, it's not a neutral habit. According to Hebrews 10 here, it's a sinful one. These verses are not a suggestion. They are a command. The word translated neglect in verse 25 means to forsake or abandon, desert, stop, or cease. When used in Scripture, that action is consistently a conscious, deliberate choice. And so perhaps the, the greatest framework for any of us to evaluate this whole matter of whether or not we're neglecting meeting with God's people is to look at your choices, to look at my choices. What are they and what story do they tell? When given the choice, what do you choose? And we'll come back to that in a bit. But you must cultivate the good habit of showing up to meet with God's people. That's what these verses are talking about. Gathering with God's people corporately and in smaller settings should be a top priority in all of our lives. But the verse isn't just about showing up. It's not like, hey, you know what you should do? You should attend your church. That's not what this verse is talking about at all. It's not talking about just an attendance, but engagement. People who are showing up to gather with God's people, and they are checked in. And they are engaged with the body, worshiping God and, and functioning as they should as the body. You want to join in heavily in the life of the body. That doesn't necessarily mean that you need to be at everything that ever happens here at Beaumont Baptist Church. But I think if, if your brothers and sisters here were to look at your life and, and how this works for you, hopefully that you would score really high. Oh, yes. That brother, that sister, yeah, they, are, they are faithfully here and they are checked in. Note the elements of this habit that we see in these verses. Look at verses 24 and 25 again. And let's just see what else is being described beyond just being here. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So these verses mention things like encouraging or urging one another. This is something very positive that we're doing in each other's lives, stirring up or stimulating one another to love and good works. In other words, we gather very intentionally. We gather very purposefully. These things are horizontal activities. And based on these verses, when we gather, our focus is not ourselves. Ultimately, it's vertical. It's the Lord. But there's also this outward one another kind of focus. Think about what that implies. The person who neglects meeting with God's people is probably not thinking about other believers. More than likely, he's thinking about himself and may actually even be being selfish. His decisions, rather than encouraging and helping the body, may actually hurt it or just opportunities are missed. Our meetings are not about receiving a positive customer experience. When I walk into Tim Hortons, which truthfully, I really love doing, 
<laughs> but when I walk in there, I order a coffee, and I, I, I order it with one cream, one, one sugar, and where I'm an anomaly from pretty much everybody else, I ask for a shot of caramel. It's so good. Not healthy, but good. And I walk out, and I've got my coffee, and I've got my coffee fix. And I think we could all recognize that that's a relatively one-directional interaction. For our 10th anniversary, my wife and I splurged, and we went on an Alaskan cruise together. It was great. I mean, you pay up front, and then basically everything's paid for at that point. And so I'm laying in bed at 10 o'clock in my pajamas and pick up the phone and call room service and order a pizza because I can. <laughs> and it's awesome. And I should take advantage of it because truth be told, it's not actually free. I like really already paid for it. <laughs> so I'm going to get it. But again, very, very one directional. When we gather, it is very much vertical. We, we gather to worship our great God. But it's also horizontal. And Hebrews 10, 24 is very much bringing that out. And anything less than that falls short of God's wonderful plan for us. And God also, I think, would have us note the motivation for this habit. The end of verse 25 says, And all the more, as you see the day, the day of Christ's return, drawing near. God is telling us, prioritize meeting and being engaged with your local church. Because the day of our Savior's return is close, and that ought to motivate us to these practices that we see in these verses. So habitually, God wants you to prioritize your, your local church, and specifically, God wants you to prioritize Sunday worship, what we're doing right here, right now, today. Turn to Acts chapter 20, verse 7, and we want to consider together the New Testament pattern regarding the first day of the week. The apostles and early church met on the first day of the week for corporate worship. That's what they did, and that's the pattern that we see in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, I mean, this is just one of those, those accounts in Scripture that kind of makes you chuckle a little bit. It's just really great, and we can pick up some details from it. Acts 20, verse 7 says this, On the first day of the week, Sunday, the Lord's Day, when we were gathered together, they were meeting. And what, what are they gathered together to do? To break bread. And then we read that Paul talked with them. Paul is preaching, intending to depart the next day, and he prolonged his speech. He preached until midnight. Some of you think we preach a long time here. You have no idea. I mean, Paul just keeps going and going, and someone falls asleep and literally falls out a window. <laughs> and, but the God's people have gathered together on the first day of the week to worship. And 1 Corinthians 16, 1-2 also references the first day of the week. From its earliest days, the church of Jesus Christ has placed great emphasis on the first day of the week. Turn to the end of your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. And now we want to consider who it is that owns the first day of the week. We know that Christ rose from the grave on a Sunday. That's one of the reasons that we worship on Sunday. But we could ask as well, who does this day belong to? In Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, John is, is writing, and we pick something up almost in passing that is remarkably significant. In Revelation 1, verse 10, John says that I was in the Spirit, and then he gives us a time reference for that. He tells us when this happened. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. 
or the day belonging to the Lord. Now, of course, every day belongs to the Lord. But Sunday uniquely belongs to the Lord. And that language of belonging conveys that you could actually rob God and take something that belongs to him. And of course, in one word, we would call that theft. We might call that stealing, robbery, something like that. Who are we to rob God of his day of worship? Consider as well how the first day of the week is, is a day of rest. Hebrews 4, 9 to 10 says that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. This is language for New Testament Christians. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest, and uh, it's speaking, that, that's salvation type of language. Whoever has entered into God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. One person said this, on, on this day, Sunday, we are reminded of and participate in the glorious reality that we have already entered God's rest and that we await the experience of the fullness of this rest in eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. I don't know about you, but I need that every week. Every single week, I'm a Christian who's been saved by the grace of God. And I have ceased from my works. And I have rest in Christ. And that rest is here now and it's coming. Our eternal rest is and will be characterized. Think about this. It will be characterized by what Sunday is all about. Therefore, resting from Sunday worship is like the oxymoron of all oxymorons. Sunday is truly a wonderful day. Why would we trade that for lesser things? God wants you to prioritize Sunday worship. A big, big picture, God wants you to prioritize your local church. And along with that, God wants you to be for your local church and be all in. This, this engaged, checked in idea. And, and specifically there, God wants you to cherish and champion some very precious and priceless things here at Beaumont Baptist Church. And if he ever leads you elsewhere, at that place. Our covenant continues and it says, I will uphold its, the church's doctrine, worship, and discipline. I read that and I asked, what, what does that even mean? <laughs> what does it mean to uphold? Well, just reverse it. It's, it's this idea of holding something up. It means to lift up or to keep elevated or to give support to or support against an opponent. Confirm, maintain. And I think what we have here is, is our covenant is mentioning three treasures that all throughout church history have been opposed and attacked. Gospel doctrine. True, the true worship of God's people. And the practice of church discipline. God wants you to uphold your church's doctrine. Or maybe I should say God wants you to uphold the church's doctrine. And when I say the church, I'm, I'm not referring to Beaumont like we are the church. I'm talking about the church, God's church, the church throughout all time and all ages. The foundational beliefs of the church and the gospel are perpetually under attack in, in our society and even within the church at large. Remember Galatians chapter 1, verse 9. 
And, and that's exactly what was happening in Galatia and these churches there. And Paul said this to everyone in the Galatian churches, not, not to the elders, not to a lead pastor, but to churches. He said, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. You have a response to that. If, if the true gospel gets tainted, if healthy Christian doctrine gets defiled and the gospel's lost, then you, the church, not an elder, not the elders, all of us have a responsibility. God has called us to uphold Bible or gospel doctrine. And of course, we want to be champions of, of all healthy doctrine all throughout Scripture. God also wants you to uphold your church's worship. We hear that word, and I think we often think kind of the, the musical side of our worship service. But our worship actually consists of several very basic God word and, and sometimes outward practices that are mentioned all throughout the New Testament. One writer noted, we can summarize these elements, the elements of our worship, under five headings. Read the word. Pray the word. Preach the word, sing the word, and see the word, summarized and depicted in baptism and the Lord's Supper. If you think about what our worship consists of, it consists of very, very simple, basic practices, like preaching, 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, prayer, 1 Timothy 2, verse 1, congregational singing, Ephesians 5, 19 and Colossians 3, 16. Scripture reading, 1 Timothy 4, 13. Giving to the Lord, 2 Corinthians 9, 11 to 15. The ordinances. I mean, these practices, when you think about them, they are so simple that they can be practiced and replicated anywhere at any time in history all throughout the world. A large church in a massive auditorium or a small church in a rudimentary hut or not even in a building somewhere on a hillside can practice these things. So how do you uphold the church's worship? Well, maybe consider the fact that the true worship of God's people will be challenged and it will be challenged from both outside and, and within the church. Regarding challenges without, we unashamedly stand on the word. No matter what's going on out there in society, our, our worship is word-centered and word-based. And yet some of the greatest threats to our worship, truthfully, probably lie right within us. I can think of a few things that come to mind. One would be pragmatism. What God has given us, the elements of our worship, they're so simple. They're so basic. And yet we could start saying things like that. this. You know what? Those practices, I'm not sure those are going to cut it here in the 21st century. We need something better. We're asking, hey, what works? What's going to make people want to come and, and worship God instead of, what, what does God want? Or when our worship becomes people-oriented, you know, we gather to worship the Lord, but our worship can quickly become about us. It can quickly become about uh, the experiential or it can become consumer-driven or just man-oriented in some way. Think about the threat of our preferences to our worship. We all have them. I, I, I mean, I can tell you honestly, I definitely have mine. And you probably do too. I think that we all do. 
But the tricky thing is, those preferences, if we're not careful, they very quickly become idols and they get elevated very, very, very high. And the reality is that idolatry and worship, I mean, those things are, they're literally the antithesis of one another. Sometimes people value their preferred forms of worship more than they should, and that ends up impeding their worship. I've certainly had that experience. Oh, I wish this was a little different right now. <laughs> wish we sang this song a little faster, or that one a little slower. <laughs> I don't know, whatever it is. And that's what I'm thinking about. Instead of, in my mind and heart, worshiping in spirit and truth with God's people. Also, God wants you to uphold your church's discipline. God gave us passages like Matthew 18, 15 to 17, and 1 Corinthians 5 that we have considered together at other times. Uh, and obedience to those passages often meets pushback. There's a reason that the average church does not practice these things and would not dare to. Matthew 18 gives us a multi-step process that sometimes culminates in a church member being removed from its fellowship. Obviously, the hope is that God will work in the preceding steps to bring about repentance and restoration long before it ever gets to that, that final point. Someone recently told me that they had never seen the church discipline process produce positive results, I think getting specifically at the restoration idea. And I thought to myself, I didn't really say anything at the time, but I thought to myself, I have. Again and again and again, and again. And often, it's in the earlier steps of the process and no one ever hears about it. Do you know why? Because it worked. And people are restored, frankly, probably far more than otherwise. And I stand up every single Sunday and I look out at people who would say, oh yeah, I could tell a story that I'm glad I'm not telling about how God worked in my life or God worked in my marriage and I'm still here today. You can uphold the church's discipline by engaging in it whenever necessary. And when I use the word discipline, I mean, there's this whole process. Getting behind it when it is in process, living it out when concluded. Sometimes the, the church membership may make a decision that's different than what you would choose or on anything. I mean, think about the things that, like in our setting, a local church would decide on. Anything from the allocation of funds to the calling of a pastor or to something like church discipline. Early in our marriage, my wife and I were part of a church, and the congregation was about to make a big decision together. And truthfully, my wife and I weren't sure that we were very behind it. And honestly, I don't know that I'd ever had that experience before. And our hesitancy had less to do with the decision itself. Uh, I don't know that we were ultimately concerned about that, but it had more to do with the process. And we just hadn't been able to quite get there ourselves yet. And it seemed hasty to us, uh, but I don't know that many others truthfully felt that way at all. I mean, we weren't really getting that vibe. And the vote went through in the 80th or 90th percentile. If you ever find yourself in that kind of situation, I mean, if I could just encourage you maybe how to process that or think through that, I want to encourage you to move with your church body and get behind the decision, provided that it's not doctrinal error or something of that nature. I mean, it is a remarkable thought to think that you could be a part of a body of people who all possess the Spirit of God. And, and God is working 
in them. And as they wrestle with significant decisions with the Spirit of God in their Bibles, I mean, congregations can get things wrong. There's no question about that. We could point out things in church history. Read Jonathan Edwards' biography. After 23 years of pastoring his church, he took what I would argue was a very biblical stand and got ousted (laughs) by his congregation. Congregations can make wrong decisions, but if you have what is a relatively healthy, functioning body, they rarely get it wrong together. And so it is a joy to function with God's people and trust God's working through his people. What about when you're concerned about something? Well, that's okay. In fact, that's to be expected. It's probably going to happen uh, for all of us at times. You can handle your concerns biblically or you can handle them unbiblically. And I think our elders would want you to know that conversations with us are always, always welcome. And you can graciously express whatever it is on your mind. That actually may be very helpful to us. We may have no idea that you're thinking that. It's like, oh, wow, like that's really helpful. Or we hadn't even considered that. You can graciously express what's on your mind. That may help us be better shepherds. And on the flip side, we'd encourage you to try to come with open ears and an open mind yourself. But what you don't want to do is stoop to things like silent protest, stewing, gossiping, and murmuring, or anything like that. Those things are sinful. And they're destructive to the body. What our covenant describes here is something something very positive. This uphold language of the church's doctrine worship, and discipline. And we want to do that well. God wants you to prioritize your local church. Be for it. Be all in. And if Christ is prioritized in your life, his church will be too. Second simple reality about this commitment, it is a threatened commitment. Let's spend a few minutes just grappling with some common reasons people miss Sunday worship and whether or not they're valid. Some of these will be stickier than others. Based on Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, I think it's worth looking at each of these scenarios through that choice grid, right? That neglecting word being a a word of choice. So maybe we should ask this. Do you have a choice? And when you do have a choice, what do your decisions reveal? So let's talk first about someone who's a shut-in. Most shut-ins would probably love to be at church. But that's typically not their choice. Paul was literally shut in prison, unable to gather with God's people. Was he in violation of something? No. But he did stay connected with the body. And they came to fellowship with him. It's just this beautiful picture. I mean, Paul's writing letters. He's he's staying engaged. And they're coming to him because he can't come to them. What about sickness? Again, not typically a choice. Hey, I woke up this morning and I decided to be sick because I thought that would be fun. I will say this, though, with four children, if we stayed home, anytime one of us was somewhat sick, I don't think you'd ever see us, <laughs> right? Like, this is how we live. And so I think we always want to wrestle with that. Work is a big one. Sometimes this is a choice and sometimes it's not. You have a biblical responsibility to provide for your family. First Timothy 5, verse 8. So again, I think what might be extremely helpful is to put this through the choice grid, What choices are yours to make and what ones aren't? If you get scheduled for Sunday, especially some of those 
those of you who work shift work, if you get scheduled for Sunday, you might not have much control over that. I mean, you're, you're in emergency services. Yeah, I don't... Sorry. You, you frankly might not have any choice if you get scheduled for Sunday. You might not have any control of it. That may just be the nature of your work. If you can switch shifts with someone, that's wonderful. Or if you've got a job where it's, I can almost never be at work. Okay, well, God might be kind to provide me something else, and maybe I should consider taking it. That's, that's something between you and the Lord. But if you have the choice to pick up another shift on a Sunday, and you're like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to grab that. Not so much because you need it to pay the bills, but because you want it to sustain a higher standard of living and you just don't care that much about meeting with God's people, that seems to be in a different category, doesn't it? That's a choice that says something about your values. And by way of commendation here, some of you are trying to navigate shift work or chronic illness or maybe something else, and you are working so hard to be here when you can. And I think you should be commended for that, and I want to tell you to keep it up. I mean, some of us, we work our jobs throughout the week, and, and we don't have a bunch of things conflicting for Sunday. And you always do. And by the grace of God, you're making it a priority to try to remove, remove the hurdles that you can, be there when you can, and be checked in when you're here. And that's awesome. What about recreation, travel, and holidays? When you travel for work or pleasure, uh, is your setting such that you could gather with another body of believers? Because God has people everywhere. God has local churches all over the globe. Or could you tr try or plan to make it back in time to gather with your church? And I understand that that may not always be the case. I think it's just valuable to give that some thought. In general, I think you want to examine your heart and your motives in this space because good things can become idolatrous so fast. I can't put a number of Sundays on this. I would not want to do that. I think we just have to all be honest and humble before the Lord. Now, what about sports? Hockey, soccer, softball, golf, you name it. I think we need to remember that you can't serve two masters. Are you in the habit of giving your Sunday to sports instead of to the Lord? Is that your habit? If so, that doesn't square well with Hebrews chapter 10. What other threats are there to these commitments in our covenant? Well, I think there's always the threat of sin and conflict between us. When things go south relationally amongst God's people, it has a very consistent way of making people go, oh, I, I don't know that I'm really dying to go this morning because it's awkward or it's uncomfortable. And so we want to try to remedy those things biblically as quickly as we can. The threat of wrong attitudes about church um, is just, just a low view of God's people and gathering with them and worshiping our vertical worship of the Lord. Neglecting the body will not have a neutral effect on your spiritual life. That's not how it works. Over the last couple of years, my wife, is, my wife has had some health troubles that, um, by the way, I know many of you have been praying about that, and we've been encouraged that things have been much better than they were a couple of years ago. But my wife and I just having these conversations that where her health has uh, caused her to miss more Sundays than she typically would. 
And it, in that conversation, you just talk about, you know, uh, you can't exactly quantify what you missed. But you know that you did. You can't ex- exactly quantify what you missed by being there with God's people, but you are not better for the fact that you weren't there. And I would hope for all of us, if, if, if we love the Lord, when we miss a Sunday, we go, I, I miss something. I can't wait to be there the next Sunday by the grace of God. God wants you to prioritize your local church. Before it, be all in. And if the Lord is prioritized in your life, his church will be too. Number three, this is a practical commitment. Uh, a few ways that you can live this out. I think one thing that would be healthy for all of us to do is wrestle through what a healthy church attendance baseline looks for you in your unique life circumstance. And that actually may look different than the person right next to you who's working shift work or who's chronically ill or or whatever the case may be. But for you to wrestle through, I, I think obedience to this command would probably look about like this. And I, or I would love for, for this to be the goal. And then to deliberately plan, arrange, and order your weeks and months so that you can gather with us here as many weeks of the year as possible. How can I prioritize this? And sometimes I think that means rearranging the furniture of your life if needed. Uh, we do this with other things, for example. Uh, consider how you might approach Saturday evenings. In our house, we have a saying that you probably had in your house growing up, tonight's a school night. Well, that means something, right? What that means is that we're trying to get our kids to bed on time. We're trying to do this, that in advance because tomorrow at whatever time our kids need to be at school and we value their education. We want them to get a a good education and be checked in. So we do certain things. And that same type of mentality is probably a healthy thing to approach our Sundays. Hey, tomorrow's the Lord's day. And I want to make sure I, I get there if possible. I want to make sure that I'm checked in. And I'm not, I'm not telling you what you need to do with Saturday. I'm just trying to help you think through it um, and things that might be helpful. Uh, if you're a member here, just specifically, please come to our members meetings as we gather and discuss things as a body and make decisions. When you don't see people here, can I encourage you to reach out to them? I go home every week after a Sunday like this and I pull up my spreadsheet of all the regular attenders and I go through who was here and who wasn't based on who I saw. And frankly, it's getting a little bit harder to do. I mean, I've got a pretty good idea who's here right now. But as a pastor, I'm watching for trends because I care. And I I know you care as well. You care about the people here. And if you don't see someone, they haven't been here for a couple weeks and you can lovingly uh, text them or call them and just, hey, how are you doing? I've missed you. Is everything okay? Are you well? Can I help you? And just have the conversation because we're for each other and our spiritual good. If you're more or less a worship attender, maybe you're even really faithful in showing up, but it hasn't gone much beyond that. Can I encourage you to think, what is one specific step that you can take to be more engaged with this body? If there was one thing you could do to... to be living a more of a Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 type of Christian life, what would that be? And try to commit to that. God wants you to prioritize your local church. And if, if Christ is prioritized in your life as people, his church will be too. Number four, this is a grace-required commitment. As with all of these, you need God's help and grace. You're not going to do this in your own strength. And number five, it's a gospel-driven commitment. I want to ask you to turn to one final text 
And it's Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. Our covenant puts this commitment, these commitments that we're looking at today in a gospel context and has grabbed some gospel language. Our covenant says this. It says, I will consider Beaumont Baptist Church a priority in my life, but it doesn't stop there. It says, as an expression of my devotion to Christ, the head of the church. Look with me at Colossians 1 verse 18. And note what it says in this regard. It says, and he, Christ, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That's resurrection language. That in everything he might be preeminent or have first place in all things. The reason you and I have new life is because Christ died and he rose again. As this this verse is referring to, he's the firstborn from the dead. Our Savior has died for us and he has risen again. And our life is wrapped up with him. And he should be preeminent. Consequently, he should have first place in everything in our lives. It's the gospel that motivates and empowers us to put Christ first. He did this for me. And so I get to gather with God's people. I get to worship him. I get to focus on the gospel. I get to love these people and grow with them. As we wrap up, making the same three applications that we've made every week, first of all, live it. God wants you to live this out. He wants me to live it out. Pray it. If you haven't grabbed a copy of our church covenant, I just want to encourage you, go grab one. Maybe put it in in your Bible and as part of your regular prayer time, I'm going to pray some of these things for specifically, God, would you help me to be this type of church member? And would you help us to be characterized by these things? And number three, make it contagious. Whatever actions you take, others are likely to follow. And frankly, if you have children, that probably starts with your own kids. If you, as a family, are saying, this is important to us, your kids are probably going to pick up on that. And also here in our interactions with one another, hopefully as people come in and they join our church and they can become part of this body, they realize, here's a group of people that it's important for them to be here together. And when they are, they're checked in and they're engaged and they're, they're encouraging one another. And they're committed to their church. So by the grace of God, may he help us uh, to do these things. Would you bow your head with me at this time? And in just a moment,